All right, good morning, everybody. It's a Wednesday morning. We're right in the middle of your work week, and we're glad that you decided to choose this radio program to start your day. We'll try to make it worth your while. This is Tony Beam. I'm the Director of Church and Community Engagement for the Tim Brazier Campus of North Greenville University, where Christ makes the difference, and where we are equipping transformational leaders for the church and for society. Also serve in the role of uh, Director of Public Policy there. And I'm the Director of Public Policy for the Office of Public Policy of the South Carolina Baptist Convention. Man, that's a lot of public policy. Um, I also serve as uh, interim pastor at Five Forks Baptist Church at the moment. Um, excited to be working with their search committee and trying to help them find a new pastor. It's this great job to have where you just work your way out of a job every time. Um, okay, I'm going to start. Just we're, we're going to talk about stuff going on in the South Carolina legislature because I spent yesterday down there. But then we're also going to talk about, uh, of course, the State of the Union address that was given last night, uh, some of the reaction to it. But I got to start with my favorite line of the night from Sarah Huckabee Sanders. And as far as I'm concerned, it, this was worth staying up for. I'll be the first to admit President Biden and I don't have a lot in common. I'm the first woman to lead my state, and he's the first man to surrender his presidency to a woke mob that can't even tell you what a woman is. Go, Sarah. Um, It was a a pretty amazing contrast between Sarah Huckabee Sanders and Joe Biden, because you have an 80-year-old. What? Is it not working? Do I need to do that again? There's the you have an 80 year old who is the president stumbling around up there. Um, I mean, he had several moments. He called Chuck Schumer the minority leader and then had to come back and correct himself. Majority leader. Um, and, and by the way, the New York Times is fawning over his performance last night. I, I'm not I mean, big shock. This is my shocked face. That, um, you know, that the New York Times would do such a thing. But at the same time, I mean, it looks like there would be limits to their credulity. You know, I, how in the world can you can you come out and just talk about what a what a great speech and Biden at his best? Well, if that's Biden at his best, we are in big trouble because he's going to be the president for at least two more years uh, if he can stumble through it. But what Americans saw last night was, you know, someone that is definitely past their prime. There are 80-year-olds that are not necessarily past their prime. But Joe Biden ain't one of them. He's one of the ones that is past his prime at that advanced age. And so that's what they saw. That's what they heard from and uh, or who they heard from. So I, I don't get this idea that it was some great speech. It was obviously geared toward him running for president. I mean, if they if Democrats had any hope that the polling data would dissuade him from getting in and announcing a campaign, they can forget it. Because even though a majority of Democrats, a majority of independents, and a majority of the American people as a whole do not want President Biden to be President Biden again, they don't want him to run for office again. In spite of that, he was talking about finish the job. That was the phrase. It came out over and over again. He would talk about this program. Now we need to finish the job. Well, he's not talking about finishing the job in the next two years. He's talking about rolling out a campaign theme 
for 2024. Finish the job. That's probably going to be his his mantra. And uh, you know, I, I I I can see that a couple of different ways. You know, when you're building the Taj Mahal, uh, you want to finish the job because what an incredible structure and the beauty that it's going to add to the world. Uh, when you're a mobster and you are planning to, um, you know, rob a bank or um, defraud a company or take out one of your competitors, or if you're a terrorist and you're coming into the United States and you want to blow things up and you want to finish the job, uh, I'm not so sure that that's a good mantra to have or, or to refer to. And I'm not saying that President Biden is any of those things. I'm just saying that finish the job can be a good thing if the job that you're doing is a good job. But finish the job if you've been a disaster from the start, which I believe President Biden has been, and and I mean that objectively. I mean, I, I just I, I think it's, his presidency has been terrible. If you're going to finish the job, is that a threat? I mean, is that telling the American people, hey, you put me back in office and if you like what you got, you're going to get a lot more of it. And nobody likes what they got. I mean, the president's approval rating is is like 43 percent. He hadn't cracked 45 percent in 18 months. And and his mantra is finish the job. Um, I mean, I, it, it seems like he might want to change that to live five more years or six more. I mean, <laughs> you realize if, if he runs for re-election and he gets re-elected, he'll be closer to 90 than to 80 when he leaves office. He's already the oldest president to ever serve in the office. And look, I'm getting I'm getting older. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not sitting here. And, and I'm telling you um, that there are changes that come around even when you're in your 60s, let alone your 80s. Um, it, it doesn't mean that I'm incapacitated. But it certainly means that I'm not as sharp as I was when I was in my 30s or even my 40s. Um, and you got the president of the United States in his 80s, and there's obvious breakdown here with his some of his thought processes. I mean, it, it, it started right off the bat. He was trying to make a joke with the chief justices of the, of the Supreme Court, John Roberts, about Kamala Harris. Apparently she's going to the Super Bowl, or was it his wife? I, I, couldn't, I couldn't really tell which one he was talking about. I thought he was talking about the vice president, that she gets to go to the Super Bowl and, and he doesn't. And he couldn't even remember when the Super Bowl is. He's the, uh, the, the, the tomorrow, uh, next week. Uh, this, you know, you're, you're talking about something. You can mess up, actually, in some things, and the people will give you a break. I'm not so sure that messing up on knowing when the Super Bowl is going to be, when that's what a lot of people are talking about, is the best um, move that you can make if you're trying to convince people that you're sentient and you're you're still okay uh, to be president. Um, I want to play one more clip. I'll just go ahead and do this. Uh, you know, I guess it started with Joe Wilson. You remember back when President Obama was making a State of the Union address, and Joe Wilson was the lone voice to go, you lie! And I mean, he kind of became famous over that. Well, it's because the decorum of the State of the Union address has always been sort of um, stayed. I mean, you, you, you sit there and you listen, and you're going to have to listen to stuff. If, it, if it's the president of the opposing party, you're going to have to listen to stuff that you don't like. Because there's a reason that you're in one party and he's in the other. And he's going to push things and say things. He's going to push your buttons. 
But most of the time, you know, they sit there and they might shake their head or they might clap at the appropriate moment or not clap when everybody else is clapping because it's something that they don't like. But normally, you don't have a raucous back and forth like you had last night. This sounded more like the British Parliament than it did uh, a United States president giving a State of the Union address. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not being critical. I'm just saying that this is very different. Do, does, do any of you remember, if you watched this thing last night, do you remember the any kind of back and forth like what took place? The biggest came, and I'm going to play several places today as we go throughout the show, but the biggest back and forth came when President Biden suggested that there are Republicans who want to sunset Medicare and Social Security. And the whole place just erupted, and the president went off script and started going back and forth with members of Congress and said, I've got a copy. You can come to my office, and I can give you a copy. I'm not going to say who it is, and I'm going to. And it really got kind of raucous. This is what it sounded like last night. Instead of making the wealthy pay their fair share, some Republicans, some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. I'm not saying it's a majority. Let me give you. Contact my office. I'll give you a copy. I'll give you a copy of the proposal. That means Congress doesn't vote. Well, I'm glad to see you. No, I tell you, I, I enjoy conversion. You know, it means if, if Congress doesn't keep the programs the way they are, they'd go away. Other Republicans say, I'm not saying it's a majority of you. I don't even think it's even a significant but it's being proposed by individuals. I'm not politely not naming them, but it's being proposed by some of you. Look, folks, the idea is that we're not going to be we're, we're not going to be moved into being threatened to default on the debt if we don't respond, folks. Oh, and that got Kamala Harris up, and she's applauding, and she's got that that Kamala Harris face that only Kamala Harris can produce. You know, it's kind of the sanctimonious, we just stuck it to you, and, and, and what made you think that you had the right to say anything to us anyway? I mean, I, I'm, just, I'm just looking at what I'm seeing here um, and what I saw. But anyway, that was the biggest exchange last night. But there were others where um, Congress expressed its displeasure uh, with President Biden. You heard several liar comments. I mean, that was, <laughs> I'm sorry, Joe, Joe Wilson, you got to find something else because uh, they've taken over your, 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 your program there. As far as yelling, you lie, that's become pretty commonplace, at least in last night's State of the Union address. I could have told you that it's going to rain on Saturday because Palmetto family is having a skeet shoot on Saturday. And it, uh, it well, actually Friday, excuse me, that I, it was going to rain on Friday. Uh, Palmetto family's having a skeet shoot on Friday, and uh, it rains when I go to skeet shoots. It it's uh, it it's we I've been to three of them, and it's rained all three times. So I I don't know what it is about me carrying a shotgun, but it causes the skies to open up. Maybe it's self defense. <laughs> Maybe it's worrying about animals that might be uh, within range of any. Uh, you know, skeet that I would shoot at. So, so what you're yeah. saying is, do not invite you to any skeet. I would. Shoot. I wouldn't. I mean, I, I'm. I'm sorry, but I, I. Yeah, I hate to put myself in that position, but no, I, I would not invite me to your skeet shoot. 
I, one of the funniest episodes, I, I think, of the Beverly Hillbillies, and a lot of people don't like that kind of humor. Love but it. but it's when uh, when you know Granny was trying to cook the skeet when they were having you know did the skeet shooting and <laughs> I've been cooking and cooking that thing, Jed. It just it's it's never going to get tender. So it's that was pretty good. All right. Um, yesterday in Columbia, I I told you uh, before I left that a couple of things were going to happen. The Judiciary Committee, full Judiciary, was going to meet and talk about the Human Life Protection Act, which would stop abortions beginning at conception. Uh, but it also they, the bill also has a lot of exceptions on it: uh, exception to life of the mother, exception rape and incest, exception fatal fetal anomaly. Um, all of those are already on there in anticipation of trying to get the HLPA through the Senate. Well, yesterday the Senate, um, as I told you, that pulled out of committee the heartbeat bill that they've kind of beefed up a little bit, and they got it back out to the floor, and it started the debate. Um, we had Senator Massey presented the bill, talked about um, some of the ways that it was different from previous heartbeat bills that have been introduced over there. By the way, for those of you who don't know, heartbeat bill is it would ban abortion beginning at six weeks. That's about when a fetal heartbeat can be detected. And all of the stuff in the bill that talks about that is 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 fine. It's pretty typical. Um, it also has all of the exceptions that I mentioned with the Human Life Protection Act. And uh, it, it does include some language that it defines rape, it defines, you know, un, under legal terms um, so that there's no question about what rape is. That, that's some of the Democrats in the Senate and, well, some of the Republicans who as might as well be Democrats in the Senate have just constantly raised these issues about well you've got to define these terms you've got to define them exactly they've got so this bill it, it defines what a pregnancy is and it uses terminology that most in the Senate think that Justice Few on the South Carolina Supreme Court would appreciate because Justice Few kind of flirted with this idea. And we, we don't know whether he was serious or not. I mean, you know, he's writing in an opinion. He could have been tongue-in-cheek. It could have been, uh, you know, he could have been uh, exaggerating. I, I don't know. could have been true that this is what he thinks. But he sort of uh, intimated that, hey, if you'd have gone all the way and passed a bill that said life begins at conception, then I might have been compelled to say that a right to privacy exists as soon as a human being is a human being. And if South Carolina law says that begins at conception, then I, I could have been persuaded to apply that section one, uh, article one, section 10 to a baby in the womb. So that some of that language got put in the bill sort of in the defining life category. And uh, even though the bill would protect life beginning at six weeks, not at conception. So most, I mean, everybody, the leaders in the Senate, and you can take this with a grain of salt, um, you, however you want to interpret it, but they all say, and they were right this past year, that the, the votes do not exist in the Senate to pass an outright ban on abortion beginning at conception. They're just not there. So yesterday, after Senator Massey made his presentation, Senator Richard Cash got up and amended the bill, and the language he put in was essentially the Human Life Protection Act that's over in the House. 
And so instead of waiting for the House bill to pass over there, because there's always this back and forth about, okay, who passed the bill first? Was it the Senate or the House? Because they, they should have precedent. Well, Senator Cash said, let's just go ahead and, and get to it. Uh, we, we, we want the Human Life Protection Act to be heard on the floor, and it looks like the way that that's going to happen is if I get up here and put it in as an amendment. So that's what, that's what he did, and he defended it, uh, did a good, a good job on the floor of the Senate yesterday, I thought, defending his approach, which is to change the heartbeat bill over to the Human Life Protection Act rather than seeing if it passes in the House and comes over. So after that, Senator Kimbrell got up and talked about why the um, heartbeat bill needed to be the, the law because it's the only law that the Senate has the votes to pass and that there are we're headed toward about 1,000 abortions a month. And once we get there, we're talking about 24,000 babies that will lose their life in South Carolina under the current 20-week ban if the heartbeat bill doesn't pass. And he reiterated the fact that the votes are just not there to pass the Human Life Protection Act over in the Senate. And he talked about the fact that he, you know, and, and Senator Kimbrell is pro-life. I mean, I, he's going to get attacked over this, and it's, it's, it'll be unfair attacks because what he's looking at are the number of babies that are going to die if we get nothing. And that is a, a very important question. Why, if, if we can get something done, we should do something and, and protect the babies that we can protect until we can get everything. Because right now, we can't. And the, these senators are not going to change their mind. I mean, I, I've heard the argument, bring pressure. You grassroots people, get people to call. We've taken people to Columbia. We've, I've tried. I've, I've, I've come to this microphone and begged you to call and begged. I send out a, a, an action alert to South Carolina Baptists that, that receive it. It gets posted on the Baptist website, goes out on Facebook. I've, been, I've asked people, please, now's the time to call. Call your senator. Tell them you want thus and so. And it's just not, it, it's not happening on a mass level, the kind of level that it would have to happen to change people's minds from where they're, they've decided that they're going to be. So Senator Kimbrell got up. He did a good job. Senator Cash, I think everybody is trying to do what they think is right, and they don't deserve to be attacked over it, but they need to find a path forward. And that's, that's what I've said from the beginning. Look, we're going to end up – you can see this coming. Well, well, let me tell you what happened yesterday. First of all, the amendment – somebody made a motion to a table – Senator Cash's amendment so they could go up to a straight-up vote on um, the heartbeat bill. And the motion to table failed 22 to 17. So the amendment stands. Now, they haven't. They immediately adjourned after that. So that it, it's possible that that amendment could be reconsidered today. Uh, it could be removed. Uh, they could vote on the amendment. It could pass. I mean, it's, I don't. Let me tell you why it passed yesterday. All the Democrats voted for it. I mean, that's, you, you know, alarm bells should probably be going off in your head when Democrats are voting for a bill 
that would ban abortion beginning at conception. Does anybody think that there's a Democrat in South Carolina that wants that, that's serving in the state house? I mean, why would they do that? Because they know that there are at least six Republican senators that are not going to vote for the Human Life Protection Act. So if the heartbeat bill, which has a chance of passing, turns into the Human Life Protection Act, then it's going to go down to defeat. That's why they voted not to table the amendment. They want that legislation to read that way because they can they see what's going on in the Senate. They know where the votes are. And, and so that's how it passed. So, uh, or that the, they failed to table because of, of the actions primarily of the Democrats. Now, there's a lot of Republicans that voted not to table as well. And they're concerned because they're, they're afraid if they vote for something that can pass, but it's not protecting life at conception that people will come after them and call them baby killers and that they're not really pro-life because they didn't support protecting life beginning at conception. Well, what, who's, who is pro-life and who is standing up for the babies that are going to die when we end up getting nothing? Which is, do, do we know that that can happen? It just happened. In fact, it felt a little bit like Groundhog Day yesterday because I'm, I was having a lot of the same conversations with the same people, with the same topic, and we got the same result. Well, we didn't get the same result yesterday, but we're headed toward the same result. Now, some may say, well, it's a good thing that Senator Cash, the Senate actually came along and, and passed this amendment, and it's gone much further than the heartbeat bill. Yes. Uh, I, I mean, can two things be true at once? I'm going to go back and quote Ben Shapiro again. Yes, two things can be true at once. It's a good thing when an elected body decides that they, they're going to not put away the possibility of protecting life beginning at conception. And if, if you didn't know the, the votes and the makeup and the strategy and why all the Democrats voted for it, then you would look at this just the results and go, yes. But I'm telling you, it's a temporary thing because of where the votes are in the Senate. And I, if I thought there was going to be enough pressure brought to bear to make a difference, then, uh, you know, I'd, I'd be pushing. And it's not that I'm not. I mean, I want, that's what I want. I want abortion banned beginning at conception. I do not believe the votes are there in the Senate, and I'm afraid we're going to end up with nothing. All right, let's go back to the House for a second here. In the Judiciary Committee yesterday, they had this long debate. but And the reason it was a long debate, because they had the votes to pass the Human Life Protection Act out to the floor. And if it's going to get amended, that's where it's going to get amended. But it took a long time because you have to have a whole bunch of Democrat speech-making and grandstanding. And I get it. They, they're frustrated because they can't stop things they don't like and they don't have the votes to do what they want to do in these committees because the committees are majority Republican because it's majority Republican everywhere in the state house, And so the Democrats take this opportunity to sound off to and not just talk about it. They, they can take the abortion issue. I saw this in the Senate and in the House yesterday and make it all encompassing. They can talk about Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, jobs. I mean, they they stretched 
the abortion issue to cover every other issue that's progressive that they want to push forward. And, and when you think about it, it kind of helps you understand a little bit why Democrats are so pro-abortion. Because abortion is tied to the philosophical underpinnings and foundation for a lot of Democrat thought. And so all that begins to come out when they have an opportunity just to, to bloviate for you know, ever how long. And, and look, it's, it, they're bloviating a bunch of drivel. It's, it's stuff that's not true. I mean, I, I get so frustrated hearing them talk about, can you, well, you conservatives, you mean, you mean Republicans. You don't care about women. You don't care about babies after they're born. You just, you just want to have this restrictive law where you have control over women's bodies. And, you're, and, and I'm, I'm just telling you that that's been proven wrong. I mean, how they can sit there and say that in the face of all the things that are done on behalf of trying to take care of women from crisis pregnancy centers across this state is is beyond me, except that they have no foundation and no fealty to the truth. They, they're just willing to bloviate and say anything that they want to say in that space and in the run-up to the vote where they're not going to change the outcome. So having said all that, Human Life Protection Act, full House floor. They'll debate it, might amend it, I, I don't know, might pass it as it is, uh, but whatever, it's it, it'll pass in the House, I believe, and it'll go over to the Senate. The Senate is not going to take it. Uh, I mean, there, no matter how many amendments you put on there, the question is human life protection protects life beginning at conception, and the votes are not there in the Senate to pass that. Now, maybe that'll change. I, what I think is going to have to happen is you've got to have the House leadership and the Senate leadership talk to each other, figure out a compromise, and then the leaders are going to have to go to their rank-and-file party members and get them on board so that we can pass something. If we don't, we're going to be right back where we were, which is we don't get anything passed, and about 1,000 babies a month are going to die for the next two years. Scattered throughout the show today, we're going to just drop in some comments um, here and there from the State of the Union address and from Sarah Huckabee Sanders' response. So I wanted to have her up again because she had she was on a roll last night, and I, I thought she did a great job. I, I don't know how her uh, response is being received by you know the the public at large or you know whether the polls have been taken already there's probably some in the in the offing i'm sure they're working on it right now and you've got um, i'm i'm sure president uh, the polls are going to be out about president biden and how well people think he did or 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 didn't do but i'm just i'm giving you my one person poll here of sarah huckabee sanders I thought she did an excellent job last night, and this was one of the comments. You know, I opened with a comment about the woke people who have taken over the government that can't even say what a woman is when she's the first woman to be sworn in as the governor of Arkansas, uh, which I thought was pretty appropriate. Uh, then she came back and she she laid out a devastating case of how good things were under President Trump in terms of the country and what the country was experiencing, and that contrast with President Biden. President Biden inherited the fastest economic recovery on record, the most secure border in history, cheap, abundant, homegrown energy, fast rising wages, a rebuilt military, 
and a world that was stable and at peace. And as many yeah, and I'm, I'm t- and that's true. Um, all all those things are true. I thought that was she laid out the case of where we were when Biden came in office. And if you just listened to his speech last night or you've read anything in the news in the last two years or listened to anything or listened to this program or any other program, you know that all of that changed. Now, some of that changed uh, during the end of the Trump administration because of COVID. But much of it has been brought on by overspending, Uh, This inflation was not caused by the Ukraine war. It's not been caused by other things that the president has accused inflation, the supply chain shortage, all of this. Inflation was already ramping up, uh, or actually it began ramping up under his presidency. If if you remember, we talked about this yesterday, the consumer price index, 1.4%. Inflation in the United States is generally around 2%, 2.5%. It was 1.4% when Biden took office. It got as high as 9%, uh, just above 9% at its height, and has now dropped back down to 6.5%. So when you're thinking about the fact that the president says, well, inflation's coming down, things are getting better, uh, yeah, but 6.5% is definitely better than 9 but it is also definitely much worse than historically the 2 2.5% that we generally experience. And all of that has been under Biden's watch. Uh, he has to take responsibility for the rampant, just mindless spending that he's led, he and the Democrat Party has led the country into that has caused this inflation. You know, we just got a jobs report. Now, and and I'm going back, you know, yesterday I talked about this too, and I'm not going to linger here, but I think it's 517,000 jobs created uh, in the month of January. January, That'll probably be revised down. But even if it's revised down by 100,000 jobs, that's still amazing job production for a month. Unemployment dropped below 3.5%, dropped down to 3.4%. That is an amazing unemployment number. It means a lot of people are at work. We have a record number of people that are working. And then you look at the fact that inflation is coming down. Now, that's because the Fed is driving the economy economy into a recession. by keep They keep raising interest rates, but they've had to take drastic action, more drastic action than they've had to take in the past because of the rate of inflation to even get it to budge. So with these drastic measures, we're still only down from 9 to 6.5%. Uh, percent. And that's why the stock market, if, if you look at the uh, futures today, they're down about 77 points. Well, with such good economic news in January, what is driving the stock market to not just be going through the roof? It looks like everybody would go, be saying, happy days are here again. Let's go out and invest and spend money. Well, the problem are the interest rates, the, the measures taking taken to try to curb inflation and inflation is yet to be curbed it's coming down it hasn't come down enough to make investors feel comfortable getting back in the stock market so that's one one of the reasons anyway all right today um, we're talking about stuff going on in south carolina Uh, today they're going to have a joint session of the house and the senate to elect judges and that'll be appeals court judges 
Uh, it's going to be up and down the spectrum. But the most important uh, judgeship today will be their vote on Judge Gary Hill, who is the last man standing out of the three that were going to be suggested for this session for the House and the Senate to vote on. Uh, it'll be just Judge Hill. And if he's confirmed, everybody's saying that he's going to be a conservative vote on the court, that he will be a textualist, he'll be a somebody who will be an originalist, they'll read the Constitution for what it says. And if that happens, something that's interesting that started developing yesterday, you know, the Attorney General, uh, Alan Wilson, he's going to come on the show tomorrow. Um, but so far, the Supreme Court in South Carolina has not answered his call to reconsider the heartbeat bill. Now, you know, they can refuse to do that, I suppose, and maybe that's what the silence means, is that they're just not going to do it. But today, as soon as Judge Hill is confirmed, he'll be on the court, and Justice Hearn will be off. Now, I had somebody tell me yesterday, well, it doesn't matter because any reconsideration would have to be reconsidered by the previous court, which means Justice Hearn would make that decision, not Justice Hill. I called the attorney general because that didn't sound right to me. I mean, once you're off the court, what, what, you just, you, you jump on and off, kind of like coming in and out of, out of a, a room or something? Um, and the attorney general said that's not the case, that Justice Hill will make that determination. If he's on the court, once Hearn is off, Hill is on, if the court reconsiders, then it'll be Justice Hill that weighs in on whether or not to to reconsider or overturn the previous decision on the heartbeat bill. So we'll see. I mean, that's another development. It's possible that uh, the heartbeat bill could be, uh, you know, confirmed uh, without it passing the Senate, without it going back through the court system. And that would be great if that can happen. But I just, I can't see this court going so far in their interpretation and then just abandoning it, abandoning, abandoning, I can't say that word, walking away from it when they've, you know, w when they know that if Justice Hill gets on there, the chances are it's going to be changed. Or do the people on the court know something about Justice Hill that we don't? Now, I'm, I, I, I don't know that, okay? And I'm not suggesting that he's not what everybody says that he should be. Uh, I have no reason to, to question that. Well, except for uh, the place where he goes to church. But, I, I mean, I, I, you know, it's a very progressive church. But um, I, as far as his philosophy, my conversations with him, the conversations that others have had with him, he, he, he sounds like he's going to do what he says he's going to do on the court, which is apply a judicial philosophy that's much more conservative. So we'll just have to wait and see about all that. But all that's going down today. And um, so tomorrow we should have a lot to talk about tomorrow morning, as well as having the attorney general on for an interview. Okay, let me see if I can find the uh, – I had a, a place in the State of the Union last night that I wanted to play over fentanyl because there was a point where the president was talking about fentanyl and about someone who died from a fentanyl overdose. He kind of used that to, to punctuate. And then – uh, people started shouting from the from the floor, Republicans, that it's his fault, that uh, it's the border, which it is the border, and you could make the case that it's his fault. 
But the thing that worries me a little bit about that, and I know a lot of people won't necessarily agree with this, but look, you win elections by winning people over. Uh, you win by having the right positions. Uh, and, and you do that as much by the way you make a presentation as the things that you're saying. In other words, if, if I come to you and I'm going to say to you some things that you really agree with, but I'm extremely angry and belligerent, and the timing that I have and what I, in saying what I'm saying, let's say that you're dealing with some kind of crisis, and instead of trying to understand what you're going through or to understand the crisis that you have, I, I just start yelling about an issue. Uh, that's not gonna. That's not gonna do much to help you. I mean, it's <laughs> it's not gonna make you come around to my perspective. And even if you already agree with me, uh, it's gonna leave you kind of with a with a bad taste in your mouth. So last night, and I I haven't been able, I've been looking here. I haven't been able to come up with the right screen uh, that has the the exchange so you can hear it. But last night in the State of the Union address. Uh, Biden talked about, President Biden began to talk about fentanyl, and he, he brought somebody, the family in, of someone who had uh, suffered a, a death because of fentanyl. And in the middle of that, Republicans started shouting, it's the border. And they began to shout, it's your fault. And all of that's true. I mean, it, it, is, it is the truth that if the border was secure— we wouldn't have the fentanyl crisis that we have because that's where the drugs are getting into the country primarily. Um, and if, if the border was secure, um, it, a lot of problems would be addressed by simply making sure that we know who's coming in, where they are once they come in, all of those things. I get it. But I don't know it's the best policy to be yelling from the floor while the president is talking about a very somber story. I mean, when he's talking about someone who died, then you and I, as politicos, in other words, people who follow the news, think about politics, talk about politics, we, we hear it one way because we know what the problem is. We know that the border's the problem. We know that the president's not addressing it and that these fentanyl the uh, deaths and the fentanyl crisis is not being addressed by the president because he's not serious about the border. We know that. But the people that we need to convince that are either in the middle or they, especially on something like fentanyl, a lot of people don't even know that unless they're news junkies uh, or have experienced someone in their family that was affected either, you know, badly hurt or killed by fentanyl, they may not know about this. All they know, they're watching the State of the Union. They decided, well, I'm going to check out the president. You know, he's given this address tonight, and I've, I've watched Obama when he did it. I watched Trump when he did it. So I'm going to watch it. And they hear people yelling in the middle of the president trying to present a, a very sad story about someone who died, and I'm not sure that that's winning friends and influencing people. That's all I'm saying. I mean, I think, look, with, with the Republicans pushing back over the continued lie that Republicans want to take away Medicare and Social Security, that you know, that's a reference to Senator Scott from Florida who put out a paper 
that basically said, you know, talked about the cutbacks and the sunsetting that's going to have to be done. And if we're going to keep the federal deficit from becoming and the federal debt from just completely spiraling out of control as if it's not now. But he said that in that context, and he never mentioned Social Security or Medicare. So I get it when there's a strong reaction to that. That's one thing. I think a lot of people in the country can identify with that. I just think the timing on talking about fentanyl might could have been a little bit better. That's all I'm saying. I, I, we, we don't want to come across the president is painting Republicans as, and so is the media. You, you've got to remember, there, the, as Rush Limbaugh used to say, the, the left's willing accomplices in the media are carrying the water for the Democrats on this narrative that Republicans are extreme. You know, the president last night talked about January 6th. You know, I stand here at two years. This It's just been two years since our democracy was attacked in the worst way since the Civil War. And, of course, that's not true, that, that we've, we've pointed out before that the Capitol was bombed by Weather Underground in the 1960s. The Capitol was attacked by, I think it was Puerto Rican extremists in the 1940s, where actual members of Congress were shot. I think five were wounded. I mean, you know, uh, when you, you start talking about attacks, um, yes, January 6th was bad. But do you know not a single person— was even charged with insurrection. How many how many times do you hear the insurrection that took place on January 6th? Well, there have been 900 and some odd people that have been arrested, charged, and either been convicted, acquitted, or pled guilty, and not a single one of them was charged with insurrection. So how can you have an insurrection without people who are insurrecting? I mean, that's it just doesn't make any sense. They were charged with things like um, interfering with a, a procedure of the Congress. They were charged with conspiracy. Some were charged, about 50 were charged with conspiracy, which is a much more serious crime, but still they weren't charged with insurrection. And so for the president to keep saying that um, is nothing more than feeding a narrative that the media is perfectly willing to carry and to try to convince the American people that they need to turn all power over to Democrats because Republicans can't be trusted. They're all a bunch of meanies. They're they're all crazy. They all want to overthrow the government. And it's just not true. So knowing that that's the strategy of the left, we don't need to give them anything to help them, in my view, by shouting down when he's talking when the president's talking about fentanyl deaths. I mean, just people. I think most people understand that fentanyl is not dropping from the sky; it's coming across the southern border, and that that's a big problem. Um, it, it, but expressing that kind of plays into the president's narrative that you know somebody watching that last night, not a politico, not um, you know paying attention all the time. They could say, boy, that, those Republicans are being kind of mean. The president was trying to tell a story about, you know, we, we need to be empathetic with this family that's lost someone to fentanyl. And there's so many people that have—I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. 